Okay, I think we'll start. Well, I'm gonna do a quick meditation here. Uh, just relax your body for a few moments and um, shift your sense of identity from the person you experience yourself to be to the awareness that's aware of that person. Okay, so um, introduce William Fenny. I've known him for uh, 47 years. He first met me in, um, well, he met the Prosperos in Scranton, Pennsylvania in 1973. He was supported by the group there and took a series of Prosperos classes presented by this guy, Ben Gilberti. He soon moved to Santa Monica and developed deep and lasting friendships with students there. 1978, he moved to Denver, Colorado and worked with uh, me, Zoe Robinson, Richard Hartnett and others. In 1984, he joined Thane's staff in Hawaii along with Konala Bradley, Paul Tanswell, and Richard Burns. After Thane's passing, William stayed in Hawaii until January 2000, uh, at which time he moved to Maryland. He also spent an academic year in Nice, France. Would love to hear more about that. He married Alana Sophia Fenny at the Prosperous Assembly in 2004. Currently, William is a member of the Prosperous Executive Council and the creator of the Prosperous websites. He edits and posts videos of Prosperous events, as well as participating in the High Watch and Mentors Professional Associations. The undercurrent of all this movement, he says, was to follow the promptings of the innate self. He is deeply grateful for the community the Prosperos has provided him over the course of almost 50 years. Please welcome Will William Fenny. Let me see if I can unmute you. Oh, you have to unmute yourself, William. Okay. There you go. Uh, uh, am I on, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. everybody can see you. Wow, okay, aloha, everyone. It's great to see you all. Um, and uh, I'm really, uh, really happy to be able to talk with you a little bit about um, about the times that we're in and the challenges that we're facing, and how we how we can move uh, intelligently through where we are. Um, uh, I chose this title, "Finding Right," um, oh, several weeks ago. 
Um, and um, part of it is that I have the probably uh, best research assistant in the world. Um, and her name is Alana Sophia Fenny. And she pays attention to an incredible number of things that are going on that I pretty much ignore. <laughs> Which, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later. But, um, but because of this, I am aware of certain things that are happening in the social and political spheres that um, I would really only have a passing view of um, otherwise. But even before we get into that, I have to comment that um, I looked at the announcement and I have to say that I almost, most of the times I don't have the chance to come to this meeting because I, my Sundays um, have their own part of a weekend and I'm still a working slog. So, um, a lot of times I don't get to come to these meetings, but I do get to hear them because I listen to the Prosperous podcast. So, uh, but anyway, I, know I looked at the, the announcement and the announcement said, um, you know, what, what the talk was and who was giving the talk. It has a picture of me there. Um, but I see that from the announcement that we are glad to accept contributions from people ranging from fundamentalists to atheists. Wow. Yeah, I kind of like did it kind of did a double take there. I said, no, wait a minute. Why would I want to associate the Prosperos with fundamentalists and atheists? But there we are. Um, we, I mean, God loveth the cheerful giver, but he also accepteth from a grouch, as the old saying goes. So uh, why not? Anyway, uh, that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, also, um, you know, what we have to deal with every single week, of course, is the fact that we're still dealing with a global um, pandemic and, uh, and it, things may, you know, they, they shift and they change according to where you are. But I like this little um, um, uh, reflection about things by Dave Pell. Uh, who has um, a kind of a, I do, I do, one of the ways I do keep in touch with what's going on is by following Dave Pell's uh, little um, news uh, brief that he does every day. So anyway, he says on his first page for this uh, news brief, he says, uh, you are finally free to move about the society. And much of what you abandoned before the pandemic is just as you left it. One thing has changed prices. Get ready for a smackaroo upside the head. What used to cost an arm and a leg will now set you back an additional pound of flesh. And it's no longer enough to make it rain. You need to make it pour. You'll be lucky to get 97% of a bag for your buck. And it's good that you took off the mask because now you're going to be paying through the nose. Just because you bring home the bacon doesn't mean you can afford a pan. Even two-bit junk will cost you 2.05 bits. And a lot of stuff used to cost a pretty penny, but now that penny has to be a complete knockout. Your mad money better be stone cold crazy. And we're not talking Bitcoin or AMC stock here. We're talking cabbage, cheddar, clam, scratch, moolah, dough. Skrills, Benjamins, bread, bling bling, legal tender, cha-ching, greenbacks, cold hard cash, and good old fashioned loot. 
I hate to be the one to drop the dime, especially to those without two nickels to rub together, but get ready to pony up or even full horse up because inflation is here, at least temporarily. So that's a lead into a story about um, the fact that the economy is recovering and uh, a whole bunch of factors pull, pouring in together are creating a situation where prices are going to rise. Um, and depending on who you talk to or where you get your news, this is either catastrophic and uh, the end of the Republic, or it's just a simple uh, hiccup in the economic fabric that will work itself out when the supply chain gets worked out. And uh, that's kind of crucial to everything that I'm gonna be saying today because uh, uh, there is come upon us a, a kind of crisis of confidence in where we get our information. But before we get into that, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about polarity. And, um, and we're dealing with some polarities here. Um, but I think one of the most uh, powerful polarities to examine are the polarities between past and future. And if you study uh, the, the astrology course of Carl Payne Toby uh, uh, and what Thane used in, in his astrology course, um, you get introduced to a framework of astrological dynamics, which is also referred to as the unconscious interpretive apparatus. Uh, now, in, in releasing the hidden splendor class, we talk about this um, at length, and there's, some, there's a lesson that we give about these dynamics because RHS class is about understanding uh, our unconscious motivations and kind of um, unveiling them so that we can uh, uh, find, find our freedom and find the truth behind our memories. So according to uh, Toby's approach, the earth and the water signs uh, are associated with the past. They're associated with survival. Um, and the fire and air signs are associated with the future. They, they represent change. Fire is change. And air is the guiding principle that, that, that allows fire to get big or small. Um, water is survival. And uh, earth is the uh, associated uh, container that allows water to flow or to stand or to uh, be contained uh, or not to be contained. And so uh, if we look at this, uh, you can see that uh, depending on your own makeup, depending on what your uh, own unconscious interpretive apparatus is composed of, maybe you're uh, more inclined to, to be associated with the past. Uh, or, you know, maybe you're one of these people who just can't wait for things to change. Um, and so I think it's important to understand that the, both of these prospects really have pros and cons. I mean, the future can represent freedom. It can represent freshness and the new. And on the other hand, it can also represent unrootedness. Disconnection from others, maybe. Uh, the past uh, can, can represent security and it can represent the, the uh, confidence that something once tried and proven can be relied upon. And yet it can also represent a kind of stodgy adherence to policies and uh, 
prospects, best left behind. So whichever way you go, whichever of these you relate to one way or the other, all of these factors are around and all of them are engaged. And it's important to understand that, that your attachment to one or the other does not negate the other polarity. And I think that's probably one of the most important things we need to understand. Uh, as another example, if I identify myself as a male, that doesn't uh, do away with the polarity of emaleness that is part of my nature. There's no way to get around it. Um, even when you get down into the atomics, the, the male and the female side of things is both together and never one without the other. Um, so um, anyway, so we see the, the polarities of the future and the past orientations playing out in our news reports. There are you know, news reports that decry all the things that are coming that are going to destroy the way that things have been for so long. And then there's other reports that are coming coming out and say, saying um, that we're um, we're too tied to the past and our past is uh, is miserable and must be done away with. Um, and you you just uh, go through the reports, and uh, depending on which way you're looking at things, you connect with one thing or another. So. Uh, we are really in the, in the face of a great challenge. Um, we haven't seen these days since the 1960s and 70s, these kinds of treasures. Um, I've talked to Alana from time to time and uh, she gets very concerned about some of the social things that are going on. And I say, look, in 1965, they were burning cities. You have to understand that things can get really bad, but they don't stay bad. And changes come and changes get uh, massaged and they get <laughs> reoriented and all things move along. So we are in a time, I believe, where, where the evolution of consciousness that we talk about in the Prosperos, uh, and this we talk about specifically in Cosmic Intention Therapy, which, which I just gave a couple of weeks ago, and it's a fabulous way of understanding that in the, uh, in the framework of, of the evolution of consciousness, um, we're at a moment of change, we're at a moment of, of something shifting. Uh, and we need to look around and try and get hints about what's coming rather than uh, run around with a kind of, um, you know, uh, reactive sense of uh, paranoia or distress. Um, understand what uh, is 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 coming up here. Um, so, because of the current state of the evolution of consciousness, those who unconsciously relate to the past are having a particularly hard time. Um, the, the the past is being um, uh, summarily departed from in many ways. And um, people who orient their lives in terms of the past are being challenged. Now, it, that's not a, 
something that's written in stone. It doesn't mean that you have to suffer with it, but it does mean that, that there are challenging forces in, involved and, and the forces that are involved are truly titanic. So in order to really understand this, I'm going to go through what I hope will be a brief and not too um, uh, aggravating uh, look into the astrological environment. Now, the reason that we look at the astrological environment is because the astrological environment symbolically represents what is going on in the collective psyche, what is going on in the evolution of consciousness. Um, and in America, <clears throat> the I think one of the things that I've not heard people talk about very much is the fact that uh, the United States of America is about to undergo its first Pluto return. Now, Pluto takes 240 years or something like that. I don't remember exactly how many, but over 200 years to go around the Zodiac. So uh, no human being has ever had a Pluto return. <laughs> there is no literature <laughs> for us to look at and say, oh, well, this is what it's like when you have your Pluto return. I think probably the best way, if you wanted to study Pluto returns, would be to study the uh, history of China. Because in China's history goes back long enough that you can actually see some patterns evolve over time if you were to do that. I haven't done it, so I don't know, but I think that's what I would do. Anyway, the USA Pluto return is a big deal. Um, what it means is that it's a whole starting over moment. It's, uh, it's okay, here is where Pluto was when the, when the nation was born. Um, now it's coming back to that very same place. And um, that's the restart. And it's a restart with everything that has to do with what Pluto represents. And this is, the, to me, the interesting part is that if you look at the United States astrological chart, Pluto is in the second house. And Pluto in the second house is, um, it's in the house of personal security and finances. Of course, for a nation, personal security is like your economic system. And it's in Capricorn. It's a very materialistic kind of energy. Uh, now, you know, <laughs> we could go on and on about that. There's so much to say about it. But the important thing is to understand that this is a big, big thing. It's a nation at the moment of rediscovering and reconfiguring its entire approach toward everything that that represents. Um, one thing I will say about Pluto, everybody talks about Pluto being a, a planet of transformation. And um, they kind of groan and say, oh, I've got a Pluto transit and blah, blah, blah. And it is, you know, Hugh <laughs> John Melanophy, I think, said the most cogent thing to me about it. He said, well, a Pluto, a Pluto transit is like being run over by a train. And then you, you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and you take a few more steps and then the train comes back in the other direction and hits you. <laughs> <again>. <laughs> um, but there's another side to Pluto. Pluto is the, the basis of the word plutocracy. It has to do with wealth, it has to do with riches, and it has to do with the mythological understanding that in the earth are these riches. And so the United States of America having Pluto in the second house really does symbolically fit quite well. But I think that what we're coming up against with this energy is 
a reassessment of what it means to be wealthy and, uh, and a reassessment of, of what it means uh, for who to be wealthy. Uh, and uh, is this really, is this experiment of um, um, uh, a nation where uh, class uh, is not the defining factor of your life, but your individual freedom is, is that still viable? And in what way does, can we make it viable? So as I say, there's awful lot you can go into here. But what I want to do is um, take a look at, because one of the things I notice is that here in the United States of America, we are really getting a sense that, okay, like Dave Pell said, we can go out and move around in society again. We can go to a restaurant, we can take our mask off if we've been vaccinated. We can sit outside and uh, uh, you know, be with each other in the ways that we haven't been able to before. Um, however, um, according to my reading of the astrological trends, um, we shouldn't get too comfortable with this. I'm not making any predictions here. I don't know what's going to happen, but I will say that uh, there was an interview on uh, PBS NewsHour uh, a couple nights ago where um, uh, one of the PBS NewsHour guys was interviewing um, the director, the chief of the uh, uh, Columbia, uh, Columbia Medical Center in New York. So they were talking about uh, what was the pandemic like a year ago in New York, which was quite hideous. And what he said was, before they signed off, he said, you need to understand more people have died from COVID since January 1st of this year than died throughout the entire year of 2020. And um, that's not the way it looks here in the United States of America, because you know, we have vaccines and we are, you know, quite a few people are actually taking them and people are then able to go out and, and be with each other. But there are parts of the world where that's not the case. And there are hundreds of thousands of people uh, getting sick every day and thousands dying every day in places like India and Brazil. So this pandemic is far from over. In fact, they haven't even touched Africa yet. Mm. Africa, Africa has... has there's there's no inroads there in terms of controlling the disease so now that i've depressed everybody <laughs> with, with a bad news i mean I'm, i i know that we're supposed to and wanting to be inspirational on sunday and that's what i want us to get to be inspired about something but we need to take a good long look at where we are and um and I think the transits, which I'll go over very quickly now, coming up are, are pretty important. So first of all, Saturn is retrograde now. It went retrograde uh, from uh, May 24th, yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting, just as in passing note, that um, up 24th, um, uh, the uh, progress through Congress of the infrastructure Biden and his pals, uh, the allies there were doing, was going along pretty well. And Saturday, everything's, everything's uh, 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 in question. So that's just in passing. So that remains, it goes retrograde on May 24th and it stays retrograde until um, October 10th. Now there is a square of, of uh, Saturn to uh, Uranus 
And that uh, actually happened on Tuesday, June 15th. So that it represents uh, an incredible amount of tension between forces of change and forces of stability. Uh, things that don't want to change and things that are saying you absolutely are going to change whether you like it or not. And there's this tension going on. Um, so <clears throat> that uh, happens when, when uh, Saturn went retrograde, then it, it hit that um, square with Uranus. And then uh, it's going to go direct again. And, and the next time it squares Uranus will be on Friday, December 24th. Um, and because uh, of the way this is working, the tension then will be much greater. Um, Saturn goes direct on October 11th. So the kind of regressive energy that we're having right now will change in October. Uh, that's pretty interesting. I'll be, I'll be very curious to see what happens. And then the period between October 11th and December 24th of this coming year is going to be highly volatile. Now, last September, I said that when the election happened, uh, the, the 2020 elections, when that happened, nobody should, should expect that there should be a solution to anything until well into the new year um, because of the astrological dynamics. And here, uh, what we're seeing is that between uh, October and December 24th, there's going to be huge tensions, uh, very strong tensions um, about the conflict between stability and uh, wanting to stay the same and uh, uh, the desire for change, uh, some people's uh, determination that there will be change um, and so on and so forth. So, All of this is uh, relevant because Pluto will reach the point of its uh, natal position in the American chart on February 8th, 27 Capricorn. Um, and uh, it goes retrograde then in uh, April 22 and returns again to 27 Capricorn in July of 2022. And then it goes direct on October 9th and returns to 17 or 27 Capricorn on December 29th, 2022. So um, 2022 is gonna be one whole year of dealing with the Pluto return. It, that's, but at the end of 20, December 29th, it's like happy new year. Um, it's fine, does its final uh, conjunction and moves on and that's that. Okay, so what is all of this about? What I'm trying to get to is first to understand that the period from October 6th of 2021 to February 8th, 2022, will see the emergence of extraordinary tensions in America's social, political, and financial institutions. Issues that have been bubbling away under the surface. I mean, what we have now, what we have now is things just kind of simmering. It's kind of bubbling away under the surface. But issues that have been bubbling away under the surface will begin to take on new dynamics new dynamism and the emerging shape is sure to be anything but encouraging to a large group of people. Um, especially when Saturn goes direct on October 11th, moving to its square uh, with Uranus on December 24th. And it will again, as it was last year, it's going to be a hell of a winter holiday season. Um, peace on earth is probably going to look pretty hard to come by. 
So, all right, I can jump through a bunch of this stuff because uh, that's enough that we need to know about. I think the most important thing with all of this sense testimony, because this is sense testimony. And in the Prosperos, we say that it's very, very important to know what you're dealing with. So these are the unconscious factors that we are dealing with that are playing out in the collective psyche. Um, and we want to know about them so that we can actually apply the principles of mind to uncovering and revealing what's hidden behind all of this madness. Uh, because there is incredible energy to be found here. So we need to understand that the apparently external event of the pandemic is the outpicturing of internal states of mind. So to get a sense of what's going on in the collective consciousness of the American nation, I think uh, it would be good to look at an article by Lisa Kashinsky in Politico um, in June, as June 14th was published. And she writes, uh, her, her, her headline was, it was exhaustion, it was sad, sadness, it was fatigue. America's mayors call it quits. It's a very well-researched article. Um, Politico's a little bit right of center for me, but their reporting is always reliable. Um, but she writes about Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin. She's one of several mayors who will not seek reelection. She says, when you're in the cauldron making those tough decisions, it becomes much more clear. I could either do the job they elected me to do or run to keep the job, but I couldn't do both. So this story in Politico, which I definitely would recommend reading, is uh, um, it covers not just her, but several, actually quite a few, um, uh, political figures who were the, the, the center point of their city's response to the pandemic um, and the fact that they are completely wiped out. Across the country, Kashinsky writes, mayors in cities big and small, urban and rural, are giving up for now on their political careers. In the process, they are shaking up the municipal landscape, creating a brain drain in city halls and upsetting the political pipeline all over America. Now, we look and we see a pandemic and we say, that's really terrible. We have to deal with this pandemic. But what we don't see is another effect that's happening is that there's going to be this fundamental shift in uh, the political landscape because of the great stress and trauma of having to go through the pandemic. So we see that there are these changes going on that uh, don't come just from the disease, but they come from the response. They come from the fact that individuals uh, can only do so much before they have to take a break. Um, another way of uh, seeing something of, of what's happening is to, um, to look at Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret has been a dominant, dominant brand for decades, just decades. Um, and right now, Victoria's Secret is fighting for its life because the social uh, 
environment has shifted away from what they've been selling for decades. And now they've got to figure out a way to catch up. But um, they've, they've completely replaced their executive team. Um, and they have come up with something called uh, the VS Collective, which is um, instead of, uh, instead of the, the, the legendary uh, Victoria's Secret Angels, uh, these scantily clad females running down a, a, a runway, um, they have what they're calling the Victoria's Secret Collective, which is a new partnership to shape the future of Victoria's Secret that is their brand. They're trying to rescue their brand. And um, I invite you to go to the New York Times story about this and look at the people that are um, involved in this. Uh, one is, uh, Ad, these are some quite a few people I don't know. Adut Akek, uh, who's a refugee, a mental wellness supporter and a model. Uh, Amanda de Cadane is a journalist, a photographer. She's the founder of Girl Gaze and an equity advocate. Eileen Gu is a world champion free skater, youth and women's sports advocate and a model. Uh, Megan Rapineau uh, is an LGBT plus activist, pay equity crusader and professional soccer player. Now, I invite you to go to Megan Rapineau's uh, Wikipedia page and get a look at her. She is an astonishing individual. And there's a great little video that you can watch of a, an impossible soccer play that she made in one of the, uh, the big games. Um, she's just quite a, quite, a, quite a person. All right, the next is Paloma El Cesar, um, body advocate, community creator and model, and Valentina Sampaio, LGBT plus activist, actor, and model. Now, taken together, if you look at the story in the New York Times, there's a, or even on Instagram, they've got, a pic, they've got pictures of all these um, beautiful women. Um, we're looking at uh, a complete rearrangement of the, of, of the uh, mission here. Um, so instead of, uh, what is the right word? Um, providing a way for women to feel really, really good about their sexuality, which I think is a good way of uh, thinking about Victoria's Secret in days gone by. They've suddenly realized that they have to advocate for, a, for women in a way that is decidedly different from, from simply having sexual freedom. Um, now, this is, these are windows. These are just windows into the ways things are changing um, and the way that uh, consciousness is evolving a new sense of what it means to be uh, uh, on the planet, to be a citizen. So I think uh, what I'd like to do next is simply to um, try and pull some of these things together now. So the polarization of, in, that's taken place in the United States of America, I can only speak from here. I, I don't know about other places. 
But the polarization has reached a place where people are being silenced, not for what they have said or done, but for what they are. Um, and this is uh, uh, very distressing because often what they are is defined by somebody else. And then there's a tag that gets applied to that person, usually with a Twitter post. Um, and then large number of people pile on without really reflecting about what's going on. You are a fascist or you are a transphobe. Uh, you are this, you are that. And, um, uh, and you know, don't, don't look for nuance because if you start looking for nuance, uh, you're just inviting yourself to get labeled and then dumped on with a boatload of hate. Now, this isn't what we want from what is evolving as a collective consciousness because the technology has arrived where we can work together very quickly um, and with huge numbers. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot to learn yet. There's a lot to learn. We're like, a, we're like a, an infant who's just learning to crawl or maybe standing up and running around and tearing the shelves and, and down in, the, in the apartment that our parents are living in. So anyway, um, Twitter has become kind of the voice of an, an impersonal collective force. It's a, I think it's an adumbration. That is to say, it's a, a kind of pre-configuration or prefigurement of a sense of collective organization that is coming, whether, whether we like it or not. And we're beginning to see that this is not an unalloyed good but it's also not an unalloyed evil. It, it's something that we need to uh, eventually uh, work out the, the proper way to um, retain our sense of, our sense of collective goodwill, what they used to call the common wheel, the commonwealth, um, in the midst of all of this uh, unfettered consciousness. By that, I mean that there are cameras everywhere. <laughs> there are cameras everywhere you go. Um, there are the state-sponsored cameras that track the traffic and stuff, uh, or in China, they track people. But um, there's the cameras in everybody's pocket. There's the computer in your pocket that you carry around. And the computer in your pocket is, is also reporting about where you're going and what you're doing and what you're buying. Right, and so all of this came without us paying attention, and now we have to start paying attention. So uh, I've tried to give a sense of what the forces are, are at work in our society. And the USA is a kind of special case, but it's similar urges you can see around the world. And I think, honestly, that the, the word that I use to describe what we're going through right now is maelstrom. Maelstrom is spelled M-A-E-L-S-T-R-O-M. It's a Dutch word that comes from two Dutch roots, uh, meaning uh, whirling stream. Um, and according to the Chambers Dictionary, it is a place or state of uncontrollable confusion or destructive forces, especially one to which someone or something is inevitably drawn. 
So we are, uh, like it or not, we're caught up in an apparently chaotic network of currents and which is becoming only more agitated as time goes on. And as I say, the next two years are, are going to be even more so. So finding right in such an environment is nearly impossible. Um, things that look right today are proven quite wrong in some way tomorrow. Um, circumstances are so fluid that, attract, that attaching oneself to any one current is a guarantee that you will be ripped apart. In times like these, the answer does not lie in what's happening outside, but in navigating our own responses. So in the face of the storm, like a navigator, um, you hold to your training. You, you find your principles and you, you, you apply those principles in the midst of the storm. So that the, navig the accomplished navigator that faces into the swells, or maybe they turn and they run before the wind, whichever is necessary. I have to say, as I, I said earlier in the beginning, um, I think my really kind of unconscious strategy for all this has been to run before the wind. And that's why I need Alana to uh, help me face the swells because, <laughs> because I, I really want to keep my focus as much as I can on creative things, trying to do creative things. So now the practice of translation, this is uh, really what our school is about. Um, that means coming to terms with the sense testimony that you see. And your sense testimony is yours alone uh, as this journey is your journey uniquely. It's uniquely your journey. I saw, uh, I saw a post on uh, 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 the other day, and it was called, uh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, right Wing Prosperos. Uh, it, was an, it was an article that was written, um, uh, and it's, it, it, uh, it, it said that very accurately, it described the origin of Fox News, and then it wonders about uh, how any Prospero student can look at Fox News and to keep up with what's going on in the world. And I think it's important to say that the Prosperos doesn't care where you get your news. Um, I don't care where you get your news. Anybody can get their news from any source, but it doesn't matter what source you look at, you still are, <laughs> the, the point of the Prosperos is to translate what you see. Translate what you hear. If you're translating what you hear, it doesn't matter what your news source is because you're going to get to the truth eventually. You're going to find your way to what the truth really is if you do your translating. So it's your journey. It's uniquely yours. And uh, you know, even so, there is the factor of being able to get together like we're doing today and share the ways in which you're responding to these truly trying times. I think the, the uh, Friday night um, as assembly of uh, students is a really wonderful and healthy thing that we have here in the Prosperos. Um, uh, we have uh, Heather's uh, fabulous series of translation workshops um, to keep us uh, uh, in tune with our tools. 
so that we can uh, meet the, the challenges by using the tools that are reliable. Um, and this gives us a, a, a different kind of strength. It's not so much the strength of insight, it's the strength of community. It's the strength of knowing that there are others with me on this path. We have our, our Prospero's uh, series of summer classes, uh, which are, I feel like it's like basic training for the next two years. Everybody should take these classes. Um, so next week, uh, let me see, it's 20, 25th, I think, Al, 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 our Dean Al Hafercamp is gonna be presenting translation class. This is fundamental. Uh, those of you who've been around for a while, it's uh, tuning up your tools. And for people who are new, it's, uh, it's a, a fabulous way of, of learning how to move through all of this challenging time uh, with the, something that eventually will be poise and grace rather than um, just running around. So always remember, Always remember that there are moments when we are granted insight into the deepest and most profound dimensions of being. Oftentimes, these moments occur with the loss of a loved one or with the change in our circumstances that can appear catastrophic. A door is opened and states of understanding formerly hidden are accessible for a certain time. This is absolutely true. Through all of our instruction, the Prosperos is about the business of awakening anyone who wishes to do so to the presence of an innate self that is ever calling for recognition and ever willing to provide guidance, solace, sustenance, fortitude, and secure knowledge of unfailing aliveness. It is that source that has been said no person can turn to in vain. In the Western metaphysical literature, it has been called the Christ. Now, if you wanna alienate an entire room of people, just tell them that, that they should meditate on Christ. Um, the, the ones that believe in Jesus are gonna say you're out of your mind and the other ones will say, I've been there, I don't want it anymore. But in Western metaphysical literature, the innate self has often been called Christ, Christ consciousness, Christ awareness, the beingness of a person. That is to say the individuation of infinite mind that is your mind, your consciousness. And so if you uh, can get around all, all the jazz that you've digested over the years about the word Christ, you can turn to that innate self and you can lift up your eyes and say, O Christ, thou son of God, not some figure in history, but thou son of God, thou individuation of infinite consciousness, my own eternal self. Live thou thy life in me, do thou thy will in me, be thou made flesh in me. I have no will but thine, I have no self but thee. And you will find what is needed in each moment for you and for the ones around you.
Thank you. Thank you very much, William. Um, thanks, Ben, and uh, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Thank you, William. Thank you. Yeah.